It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So, Amy, best part of last week? Well, like you, I had a senior. My son Riley graduated, so that was... It was bittersweet. Yeah. And I have to say, we cooked because it was a cloudy day, and, mm. and we were just out on that um, soccer field, which, you know, where mm-hmm. everyone's doing these kind of outdoor things. Mm-hmm. So, But it was, it was fun. It was neat to be there and see them. And the other thing was today. Oh, my I, gosh. That was so much fun. Doing that. The trash pickup. The trash pickup was um, solved. That yeah. was so cool. I'm so glad you signed us up. And it so was, thanks for doing that. Yeah, it was fun. And we all, they were so organized with all the equipment. Mm-hmm. And, and they had gloves. Gloves. If you wanted to use their gloves. And maps. And yeah. special wipes to get graffiti yeah. down. Which yeah. I thought that was impressive. I want It made me want, uh, sadly, it made me want to find more graffiti so that I could remove it. But I know. there were some spots where it was super clean. Yeah. Like around the courthouse. Barely any trash. Right. So that was good. But we can always count on bus stops. Further our cigarette butts. <laughs> yes. Ton of cigarette butts today. But that was that was fun. And it was fun meeting that um, Meredith. Meredith. Yeah. yeah. She was very nice. And knowledgeable. It was we're gonna have to try some other ones like downtown. Yeah. Other spots. She told us about some other places. So yeah. I'm with you with that. That was fun. In episode eight, we talked about Bethany Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Who's the pro surfer, author, motivational speaker? Afterwards, I, I signed up for her email, which I think I've talked about mm-hmm. some of her emails. I got one the other day. The subject read in the subject line it said, "If you're lacking joy, pause and read." It really spoke to me because, <laughs> like I've been saying, I'm just kind of struggling. Yeah. yeah, and I was kind of feeling down about myself, so I kept reading. And it said, "Today, I want to share with you some words of encouragement on the topic of comparison." And here's a profound quote to start. Comparison is the thief of joy, Theodore Roosevelt. And then it says, "Yeah, I knew, I knew I that was a famous woman." Yeah. And then it said, "Stop and read yeah. again," which I did. And I was familiar with the quote. It mm-hmm. certainly captures that feeling of comparison that there is surely no joy yeah. from that. Yeah. Then further down her email, it directed me to her blog, and her blog talked about the five love languages by Gary Chapman. Chapman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she focuses on the words of affirmation and how words matter. She has a course on letting go of comparison with spoken word poet Arielle Astoria. Hmm, I haven't heard of her. Yeah, I hadn't either. Her email highlights a few of Arielle's points on comparison. Arielle writes, If we all could see ourselves the way the Creator sees us, embracing the truth that there's never been and never will be another like us, we'd recognize how useless comparison is in the first place. It just, like, really touched my heart. Mm-hmm. I was so intrigued about who this Ariel was. After further reading, I decided to look her up and learn more <laughs> about her. And it's really interesting. She's born and raised in California and graduated in 2015 with a B.A. in psychology and focuses on theater integration with this degree. Mm-hmm. It's like to be a creative bridge between the mind and the heart. Hmm. And so Ariel is not only a spoken word poet. She's a writer, an author, an MC a speaker, a body positive model, an actor. Mm. Her motto is words, not for the ears, but for the soul, which I love this, that words are meant to be felt, not just heard. She has been a keynote speaker for companies like Google, Lululemon, uh, Mm -hmm. Dress Sember, TEDx, and Skims. 
I watched the video on her website that she did for Skims Underwear, and she's wearing just like a bra and underwear. And she's like, some days she feels self-conscious about everything. Most days she feels self-conscious about her thighs. And I just love her transparency. And then the audience is kind of egging her on. They're asking for a little something, so there's some rhyming. And she breaks out into this poem, and her words are just so strong and uplifting and empowering. I was just awestruck, and I watched all her videos. (laughs) And I, I cried a bit and smiled. It's totally worth checking out. It's girl power for sure in the best way. Mm-hmm. The messages are positive and remind individuals of their value and worth. She's got two poetry books, Vagabonds and Zealous, which she one she co-authored with Scott Jacob. And then she's got Write Bloody, Pr- Spill Pretty. She co-authored with uh, Sarah Christine Wallach. I just want to check these poetry yeah. books out. But she's just... her. Her, just the, her honesty, her and honesty, openness about and struggling with yeah, that. It's yeah, it's just I just found it really very inspiring. refreshing that yeah. she, rather than putting on more filters and right. perfection, that that's yeah. not helping. Yeah, we'll have information about Ariel on our website at tangentialinspiration.com. Very cool. So I felt a little bad texting my mom and brother on St. Patrick's Day with the sad news that Dick Hoyt had passed Aww. away. I remember that it was St. Patrick's Day because that's my brother's birthday. Okay. And my I, dad's birthday was that, oh, too. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. And I didn't want to share such sad news on a day that he should be celebrating, but I, I just couldn't contain it, so I sent it. And my brother, you know, sent back, I'm sure, like a sad emoji or a crying or something. But my mom texted back saying she didn't know who that was. <laughs> oh. And I was puzzled because I couldn't believe my mom wouldn't remember the Hoyts after she met them with me at an expo in 2015. I know. I I know that I was a total and complete fangirl when I met him. And (laughs) and I'm actually kind of happy my mom didn't remember because if I had made as big of a scene as I feel like I did, she would totally remember the experience and I would have embarrassed her. But I must not have been as bad as I I feel (laughs) like I was. It's always worse in our own head, right? (laughs) So... She didn't remember who the Hoyts were, but once I once I reminded her, you know, she finally did remember. But after a few more texts, while I know that everyone in the triathlon and marathon world know about Team Hoyt, I sincerely feel that more people should know about this family. Dick Hoyt married his high school sweetheart Judy. She was, oh. you know, cheerleader, and he played high school football. So it just, it, I. I perfect cute couple they welcomed their first son into the world on january 10th 1962 and they named him rick oh dick saw baby rick doing what he thought were push-ups in his incubator and he was like my you know my kid was already doing push-ups he's gonna be quite the athlete but it would later be determined that what he was witnessing Rick doing, it, it was actually spasms. Oh. So the umbilical cord had been wrapped around Rick's neck during birth, and so the blockage caused permanent brain damage from oh. the lack of oxygen. So it was determined that Rick had cerebral palsy, meaning his brain could not properly control his muscles. This is back in the early 60s, and right. the doctors encouraged them to institutionalize Rick. Oh. They told the Hoyts that Rick would be nothing more than this, their words were, a vegetable, and he, he wouldn't amount to anything. Thank That's got to be heartbreaking oh news as a parent. I just, I first, mean. Yeah, I, I just can't even imagine. But fortunately, his parents refused to listen to their suggestions, which had to be hard in itself, yeah. but... They noticed that Rick would follow them, like his eyes would follow them around a room, and he would track things with his eyes. So they really felt 
that someday they could communicate with them. So they knew there was something there. They just didn't know how to get him to be able to respond. Judy, the mom, worked with him nonstop with the alphabet. She posted signs on objects in the house. So, you know, from early on, she was trying to get him to learn things. She also fought tirelessly to get Rick enrolled in public school. Oh. In 1972, they paid $5,000 for a contraption some engineers at Tufts University had developed to possibly allow Rick to communicate. I'm sure they didn't want to get their hopes up. Right, right. But that's pretty... Pretty cool. Already, they, yeah. I'm sure it was hard to not get your hopes up, but with it, he could use the cursor to tap out words and finally get to talk to the world. I just picture the room being silent, and they, they kind of laughed. They were like, okay, what are the first words he's going to say? He's going to say, hi, Mom, hi, Dad. <laughs> but they, they totally laughed because they're like, no, his first words were, go Bruins. <laughs> So I guess the Bruins, they were in the playoffs for the Stanley Cup. fun. And it was then that they learned firsthand that they had a sports fan in their family. I mean, they knew that Rick was a huge sports fan from that. And to think that the doctors had tried to persuade them to send him off to an institution, thank goodness they didn't listen to them. For sure. Dick and Judy had two more boys, and they did all the usual family things with their kids. They went, and I'm talking all three of the kids, so they would take Rick and and the other two. And they went swimming and camping. They played sports, and they always included Rick. When the brothers played baseball, Rick was the umpire. How sweet is that? When they played hockey, Rick was in his wheelchair, and he was the goalie. Oh, that's awesome. I just admire, like, the authentic love, just the deep love in this family. In 1977, Rick could communicate with the use of their, it was called the Hope Machine is what they called it, the family called it, and was able to tell his dad that he wanted to participate in a community fundraising run. A young man in his school had had an accident. He was a lacrosse player, and I read conflicting things based on the accident. One reported that it was an auto accident, others said it was a diving accident. I don't know what it was, but he was in a wheelchair, and Rick wanted to let him know that life goes on. And you still can do all sorts of great things. But there was a fundraising run that they were putting on for this young man. And it was like a 5K. Now, mind you, Dick doesn't run at this time. Okay, gosh. Way to sign the parent (laughs) up. (laughs) It's not even in your wheelhouse. But you're going to do it. But Rick wants to do this run. So um, they wanted to support the classmate. So he enlisted the help of his father. And that's pretty much when Team Hoyt was born. Dick was not a runner, and this it, this was before they had the sleek, you know, now they have pretty sleek adaptive equipment for right. athletes. Yeah. But there's this middle-aged, deconditioned man in a rickety wheelchair, and so people thought wow. they were just going to run to the corner and yeah. back and just kind of put a show on, but race organizers didn't expect much, but they ran the whole thing. They came in, I think, second to last, but... They still hey, were the last. Exactly. They, they ran the whole thing. They were out there. I. That's awesome. Exactly. And they finished the race, surprising spectators and the race <laughs> officials. And what those people had neglected to consider was the enormous heart of yeah. this team. So what they lacked in physical abilities, they made up with in heart. Dick would say that he was just the body and Aww. Rick was the heart of the team, which so sweet. Love that. Yeah. Rick would tell his father when he was racing he didn't feel handicapped. Aww. It just feels like my disability disappears, he would say. 
So talk about pulling well, on know, the heartstrings. Well, I bet just being, getting that freedom that you probably would never. And he's felt. out there, yeah. Just, you know, just going fast. Yeah, you know that feeling of going fast. I'm sure. That and that's was exactly why I was given the name Freebird. So oh, cool. They're from Massachusetts, and so they had their eyes set on Boston, the Boston Marathon. Okay. So this team is all heart. They wanted to compete in the marathon, and at first they said no. The Boston Marathon organizer said no, couldn't push the wheelchair, and then they finally caved. In 1981, the pair competed in the Boston Marathon. At first, they had been rejected, but the race officials allowed them if they qualified. Oh, wow. Now, the catch was they had to qualify with Rick's age group. Oh, man. So (laughs) to note... You're talking a male in his 20s versus a male in his 40s. So you're talking a good 10 minutes, which in running time is a long time. But Dick rose to the challenge, and he qualified at the Marine Corps Marathon with a time of 2.41, which is smoking fast. I've watched several videos with interviews and discussions with Rick Hoyt, and I just have been tickled with his sense of humor. I mean, he just, he loves his dad. He wishes he could give his dad trade places and Uh and give his dad a ride too. But this, this young guy is just all sorts of amazing. Once these two guys from Massachusetts apparently needed something bigger than the Boston (laughs) Marathon, they have their eyes set on the Ironman Triathlon. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So Dick... And so Dick hadn't ridden a bike, he said, since he was six. Holy moly. And he couldn't swim. <laughs> but once again, this dad did we had to do to make us unhappy. First, they Aww. got the same reply from the Ironman organizers. Even though they had done a number of races, they had a lot of races under their belts, they rejected their application and Aww. said that they couldn't push a handicapped wow. participant. So. But persistence and dedication paid off. They headed to Kona in 1988, planning to have Dick pull a son with a bungee cord attached to the vest, to, attached to his vest, yeah. and then he pulls with a bungee cord a plastic boat that Rick is in, and then he would hop in his two-seat bike, so they'd do the bike portion, and then they'd run with a special running chair. Keep in mind, Kona is hot. Holy, yeah. I've done, the, I've done hot. the Kona Marathon on this stretch, and it's it almost killed me. <laughs> I'm being a little dramatic, but it's it's a challenge. It's hot and humid, and the mileage is tough with any one of the disciplines, let alone all three of them, for a single participant. And he's talking, you know, adding an adult male into the weight and the the, equipment, too. Wow. So for people that don't know, the the triathlon itself is 2.4 miles to swim. Okay. 112 miles on the bike. And then a marathon, so 26.2 miles. Unfortunately, in 1988, Dick got sick, and they didn't finish, but they returned with vengeance the following year. Rick Hoyt became the first disabled Ironman in 1989 <sighs> when he and his father crossed the finish line, having Mike Riley call out their names. Oh. So they'd return a number of times again for the Kona Ironman. In 2003, they were rushed to the hospital after a crash on the bike. Oh. Dick had road rash, and Rick needed stitches, so you'd think they'd call it a day. No. Yeah, we've done this enough, and... They were in the hospital for five hours. Definitely would call it a day. But no, they, went- they returned back to the race and oh. finished it. In 1992, Rick and Dick biked and ran across the United States and finished it in 45 days. 3,735 wow. 3, miles. So I did the math, and that's like 83 miles a day. Oh, my gosh. Their stats are all sorts of impressive. Like 32 Boston marathons, which I guess was Rick's favorite. 
72 total marathons and like 1,130 endurance events. They did six Ironmans. <sighs> and I love that they didn't keep all of this to themselves. So they weren't just doing this for the glory of, I mean, they, they were doing it for the love of his son, but then right. they also were trying to prove to people, you can do whatever you say yeah. you mind to. Yeah. So they created the Hoyt Foundation in 1989, and it aspires to build individual character, self-confidence, self-esteem in America's disabled young people through inclusion in all facets of daily life, including family and community activities, especially sports, things at home, in school, and in the workplace. Each year, renowned athletes Dick and Rick Hoyt would show the world how they do this, speaking before the community and professional groups and direct participation in many road races, triathlons, and other endurance events. The foundation provided advice and support to groups, individuals, and this just shared their mission. Their biggest message was, yes, you can do it. Dick's big thing was, as long as you make your mind up. I mean, you have to make your mind up that you're going to do it. So... Rick definitely had the love and support of his family. His mom fought tirelessly to get her son into public school. In 1975, Rick was finally allowed to go to public school. He was 13, had a lot of catching up to do, obviously. Yeah. But still, the interactive headpiece attached to his wheelchair helped make it a reality. Not only did he graduate from high school, he went on to college. In 1993, Rick graduated from Boston University with a degree in special education. He worked at Boston College in a computer lab to develop systems to help with communication and tasks for um, disabled people. So he's, you know, paying it forward. And once again, those doctors were like, hmm. Golly, that's just really. So there's no question his entire family loved him, but there just was this special bond between this father and son. Dick had some heart issues. He had had, I know, at least one heart attack, I think a couple, and that ended up being what what took him finally. But the duo planned to make their um, 2013 Boston Marathon a swan song of sorts. They were going to have that be their last run. And then after that one, they were like the marshals (gasps) for the Boston Marathon. But that was the horrific year of the bombing. So I read in one spot that they made it to mile 23. Another another spot said they had about a mile to go, and they oh, were turned wow. around. So they didn't get a finish, obviously, that year. But they returned for their final, their actual final, Boston Marathon in 2014. It was in 2015 that I was fortunate enough to meet them at the Boston Marathon Expo. How cool. Oh, my gosh. It was, yeah. Like I said, I was fl- just off the ground. I was just... On cloud nine. (gasps) I knew that most people wouldn't recognize the names, even if I thought about breaking. I'm not a breaker to begin with, but even if I wanted to, I knew that most people would kind of like my mom. I don't know who that is. But for me, that was definitely a highlight of the trip. I admire this guy for serving his country for 37 years and listening to his heart when the doctor said to send Rick away for digging deep to find not only his athletic potential, it had to have been just so hard to put in the hours and the training right. time. And it had to be painful at times. But there's no question, though, this guy made my father's day list because of his devotion. Aww. He was stubborn, persistent, and dedicated with endless love. Dick Hoyt inspires me to meet people where they are at to love on them. I'm obviously in a different place than he. But let me just say that I want to love like Dick Hoyt, pushing through hardship. Yeah heartache, and pain as an expression of love. I'm just a father, and all I did was tie on a pair of running shoes and push my son in his wheelchair. Dick Hoyt.
So I'm going to be very honest here. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was not a fan of G.W. Bush while he was president. And I yeah. remember, so my brother went to Uvo, yeah. very liberal school, and he had a G.W. bumper sticker on the back <laughs> of his, his forerunner. And I just, I would tease him. Yeah. But pretty gutsy to have right. in Eugene. But For sure, um, of all places. <laughs> yeah. So my brother loved G.W., but I did not share at the time. But um, I had my own reasons for feeling that way. But I have to say that... You know, he had to navigate one of the most difficult times in American history with oh, 9-11. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of when I, I turned and, and was like, you know, whatever I got to do to support this guy. But obviously an incredible challenge. And it, it shaped his presidency in ways no other modern president has had to deal with. Given all of that, I've become a much bigger fan of George W. Bush after he left political office. Part of that, of course, is learning so much about his wife, oh, Thora Bush. Yeah, she can learn about it in awesome. episode 25. Yeah. Yep. She is pretty dang awesome. And those cookies, the recipe that oh, you made yeah. was very good, too. But I have to say I've enjoyed watching, you know, on the news and whatnot, George's playful side with the Obamas. Oh, yeah. Especially his... nice relationship. Oh, my gosh. I've so seen. cute. Yeah. So cute with uh, Michelle Obama, especially. He stood up for a lot of social issues since he left office. And as an elder statesman, he's tried to help people be reasonable despite political partisanship. One of the things I've learned about George W. Bush is that he has a talented painter. Yeah, I just recently learned about that, too. I didn't know it until this book. But um, he especially loves to do portraits. For Father's Day, I got my dad a book called Out of Many, One, Portraits of America's Immigrants. This book is a collection of portraits of immigrants to America painted by George W. himself. With each immigrant comes a story. Some stories are about how they came to America. Some stories are about how they've contributed to the American society. And some are just personal stories about immigrants who made a difference in George's life. It's unlikely that you would find Paula Hernandez Reardon in any history book, but her impact on George was profound. She was an immigrant from Mexico, having just lost her husband, who ended up becoming the nanny for George and his siblings when he was just 13. Oh. Which I just, I love picturing all of this. Yeah. He explains that Paula was the first immigrant he ever really got to know, and she felt like a second mother to him and his siblings. George talks about when his parents, the senior George and Barbara Bush, were out for the evening. Paula would sit on the couch with them and watch Bonanza and Gunsmoke. Oh, cute. But it gets better. Yeah. And then when his parents pulled into the driveway, Paula would yell, quick. Get to bed. Yes. How funny. I can see that. Like, I think I had babysitters. (laughs) And um, he'd run into bed and pretend to be asleep. Paul lived and worked with his family for a very long time, becoming a member of the family. But other names are highly recognizable, having made huge impacts on the country that adopted them. There's Madeleine Albright, the former Secretary of State who immigrated from Czechoslovakia. Henry Kissinger, a German Jew who fled from the Nazis to become a national security advisor and a Secretary of State. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, who, for a yeah. while, I was not a big fan of him, but I'm back to being more so of a fan. He came to the U.S. from Austria to have a huge movie career and become the governor of California. Um, LPGA golfer Annika Sorenstrom, who came from Sweden. Oh. And Dirk Nowitzki of the Dallas Mavericks, who, after coming to America from Germany, he beat out Wilt Chamberlain oh. for the sixth highest all-time score in the NBA. Wow. I know. So pretty cool. But yeah. however, most of the people George both paints and tells the story of are not household names, but their stories are no less compelling. 
The very first portrait is the story of Joseph Kim, who escaped from North Korea to come to America. He grew up poor after a famine wiped out two million North Koreans, including his father. He begged for food, and his mother didn't have enough money to support Joseph and his sister. His sister went to China to be a bride slave, which is just as horrible as it sounds, but better than the other alternatives. His mom was sent to a labor camp where she died, and Joseph was a homeless orphan. I I just... He got work as a coal miner while he was still a child, getting a meal and whatever coal he could carry home with him as it paid. When he was 15, he decided to escape North Korea, hoping to find his sister. He ran across a frozen river and into China. He searched for his sister to no avail. He eventually found that he could get food and support from Christian missionaries in China and was first introduced to Americans through those ministries. Eventually, one of the missionary groups helped him get sponsored to travel to the United States. Growing up with North Korean propaganda, Joseph expected Americans to be ugly and cruel, but he found the truth to be much more inviting and kind. So President Bush, through his foundation, helped get Joseph a college scholarship where Joseph studied political science. George says that Joseph Kim was the first portrait in his book, which just makes me kind of teary because the story was so inspiring and because he had easy access to Joseph, who worked in the same building that the Bush Institute is in, working for the Human Freedom Initiative, helping develop young leaders in other countries to help establish human rights. So the portraits, they are really good. But the stories are what make this book, you know, Mm. just great. They're about immigrants who came to America and became CEOs, sports figures, political leaders, charity founders, community organizers, engineers, and the creator of Chobani Yogurt. Oh. I know. There are just so many great stories in this book. And again and again, George hits the theme. We're a country of immigrants formed by immigrants. And then our diversity is our country's strength. Yeah. He even includes some graphs about immigration in a short essay on why immigration reform is necessary. I just have to say I love his stories, and and my view of George W. Bush has changed significantly. I truly believe he has a kind heart, for sure, a strong faith, and a desire to help other people. The title of his book, Out of Many, One is Taken, from the Latin E. Pluribus Unum, which is printed on the Great Seal of the United States, which is on all of our money. Oh. Which I've never noticed. I didn't notice that either. But the motto means that out of many states, many backgrounds, and many people comes one nation. I love that, yeah. even though I've used it and never known it. But I'm not sure my dad will love this book as much as I did, but I'm certainly glad to have found it. There's a link to the book along with other books we talk about in featured book section of our website, tangentialinspiration.com. You should go check it out. Oh, that sounds good. So this time it's my turn to ask Amy some questions as we're trying to get to know each other a little better. What's the last book you read? Um, Kiss the Girls, Make Them Cry. It's Mary Higgins Clark. It was actually... Oh, Mystery. It's, yeah, Mystery's her last book. Oh. Yeah, she she passed away, I think, last year, so... That was I love mysteries. I know. I love. I've read all her books. Okay. I mean, my sister is a big fan too, yeah. and we always trade and mail them to each. Janet Ivanovich yeah. and then Susan Sue Grafton. Oh yeah, those are all those good. Are good. Yeah. Your top five movies: Zoolander. Oh, that was a good one. I love. <laughs> I didn't. I, I love Ben Stiller. I do too. I don't oh, like the second one as much. Yeah. Eurovision, which is. Oh. <laughs> 
I have to say, we, my husband and I will put that on just when we don't know what to watch. We just want something light mm-hmm. and it's stupid, silly, yeah. fun. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. And then uh, I like the Daddy's Home with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Oh, they're okay. Funny. They're the, the um, stepdad type of thing. Yeah, they're yeah. co dads. Yeah. Co dads. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, Blended, which is Adam oh, Sandler and Drew, Drew Barrymore. Barrymore. Yeah, that's very good. And then I love The Murder oh. Mystery. That's Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. Oh, it was a Netflix uh-huh. made. Came out like yeah. two, maybe two years yeah. ago. Your last Netflix binge. We just, I, well, it's been a, a little bit, but I watched that Queen, Queen's Gamut. That was really oh, good. Oh, uh huh. I started watching that and then I felt guilty because I know that other people wanted to watch it with me. So, yeah. The last song that you had on your playlist. Well, we like, I like that song, um, Leave the Door Open um, by Bruno Mars. Oh, is it new? It's new. Okay. And I, my kids, kind of t- got me into it but it kind of reminds me of a song from like the 70s it's, ah, it kind of has that, yeah. that sound to it hmm. um your favorite dad memory my dad used to take me when i was little my mom was working as a nurse at the 3 to 11 shift and sometimes we'd go in his ltd i remember this in texas and we'd go to like dairy queen and get like a dilly bar or something together ltd, LTD is like a kind of car it's like the oh, white okay. <laughs> <laughs> i remember thinking it's not it was okay. like this and i remember right. we'd listen to um like the rhinestone cowboy <laughs> texas you're texas, texas. It, you know but that was a really good memory for me, but yeah. yeah, he was just a sweet man. He, like my sister and I learned to ski up in Washington. We moved from Texas to Washington. He, my sister had come home from college and he would like take our ski gear. He didn't ski, but he would take our <laughs> ski gear out of the car and take it to like this place on the slope. I mean, he was just very sweet. And just a sweetheart. If you look after goodness and truth, beauty will take care of itself. Eric Gill. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.